0: So this is what I want to do for two weeks, not six weeks. Matter of fact, if you want to look in more depth what I'm going to talk about next week, um, we have six whole sermons on just what I'm going to cover next Sunday that are on our podcast from a year ago. And so I want to talk about something a little bit different today and next Sunday than we did last year. But I want to talk about this um, idea of this, a reason why I love my church. We're going to talk about it in two weeks. And so this is the big picture of what I want to look at the next couple of this Sunday and next Sunday, is that I love my church because in the church I get to be part of God's activity in the world. And I'm going to try to explain what that means because you might go, oh, really? I love my church because of the coffee. Or I love my church because of, you know, little kids saying, I love my church because my friends are here. And that's wonderful and that's good. There's a hundred reasons you can love your church. Um, you can love your church because you experience community and church maybe in a unique way the first time you ever have in your life and it's saying, this is real. And you love your church because those are all wonderful. But I want to talk about a, a big, broad reason why we all, every one of us, should just say it is amazing to be part of the church. What I'm hoping of, we actually see things a little differently than maybe we have before. So I love my church because in the church I get to be part of God's activity um, in the world, that by being part of his church, we have a great purpose, that um, by being part of the church, that, um, that every single person, this is God's plan, that every single one of you sitting in here, in God's eyes and in my eyes and our eyes, you have incredible value and you have incredible importance because you're part of God's church because of this. That because of the church, or in God's church, that God's church, what we are, is we are the solution. You say, What's the problem? We're going to talk about that. We are the solution, and I love being part of the solution. A lot of people like to complain about problems. It's kind of two kinds of people in the world those who complain about problems, and those who fix problems. And uh, maybe I'm kind of a guy who complains about problems and then tries to work real hard to fix them, but. I love the fact that the church, we are part of the solution. And this is what I mean by that. Kind of three, three statements that I'm going to make, and then we're going to look at what that means about the church. And it's this. First of all, but the world is really messed up. Okay? Number two, Jesus is the only one who can fix the messed up world. And here's the part, that the number one and number two, to make, to make this one point and only really this one point today. And the church is Jesus' main avenue for fixing the messed up world. And I want us to get that today, that Jesus, that his main avenue for ministering into this messed up world is the church. So let's talk about these three things today. The world is really messed up. You could say, uh, stop right there, go to point two. You don't have to prove it to me. I would say this, unless you live under a rock, you know that the world is a mess, that this world is in trouble. Let's well, just think about this for a minute. Right now, about one-third of the people on planet Earth, we got like 7.6 billion people, something like that. About one-third of the people on planet Earth Today, right now, as you're sitting in church, and I know this is, this is the burden we have to bear this morning. The light is too bright coming in the windows. I mean, that's about the extent of the burden we're having to bear right this minute is, is we've got to figure out with the way the building was designed, how do we eliminate some light coming in the windows, okay? So some of you are hiding in the darkness. I said last week at the, at the annual meeting for all you fishermen, if I was fishing, would I cast five rows back at the edge of the light line? Because that's where the bass would be sitting. Um, because everybody had to migrate back. to get I understand that, but that's kind of the burden we bear. But out of the whole world, guess what? Out of all the billions of people on the planet, one-third of the people right now do not have enough food to eat. One-third. According to the United Nations, the most recent statistics, about 21,000 people die every single day from hunger or hunger-related causes. That's one person every four seconds. Think of this. One, two, three, four. Somebody dies of hunger-related issues. One, two, three, four. Somebody dies of hunger or hunger-related issues. One, two, three, four. Those are people's children. People's parents, they're real people. To us, there's somebody on a news article, but they're real people dying right now, every four seconds, and the clock never stops ticking. That's messed up. The world's a mess. Or think about this: Right now, about 300 million people. About the population of America, 300 million people live in a country with a serious war taking place. So right now, we're sitting in church and we're enduring squinting. Some of you are smart. You bought sunglasses. Um, you know, really. Um, you're in, but we're enduring not really that difficult of lives. But right now, 300 million people are living in a country with a serious war taking place and because of that right now this morning there are more than 60 million refugees worldwide because of war. That's families just like ours. Think of your family, you got your family up this morning, you you fed them some breakfast, you got them in a car, you brought them to church. That 60 million refugees worldwide. Um are refugees, because of war in their countries. Families exactly like ours. Friends, that's messed up. The Lord, when he created this world and this beautiful garden and humanity, um, he never intended for people to live as refugees fleeing for their lives. It's messed up. But think of this. Right now, sitting in our nice church, go south 20 miles down Highway 43. And here's a reality, 20 miles south, that right now only about one half of students that go to Milwaukee public schools will graduate from high school. 58.2%. About half will, will live in a family, live in a neighborhood, go to a school, and about half will graduate from high school. While right here, there's this imaginary line called County Line Road. It's a magical line because everything changes once you cross that line. That right now, in Port Saukville School District, you know what the graduation rate is in Port Saukville School District? About 96.2%. And we're one of the lower graduation rates in Ozaki County. Like, you go to some Ozaki County schools, and it's 98, 99% graduation rate. So basically, everybody. So, in us, almost everybody graduates from high school. And we only live, these students, live 20 miles apart from each other. That's messed up. Well, let's think about one more thing. I've been trying to go from the big picture to bring it more personal right on. Think of this. Right now, drug and alcohol-related problems are staggering in Wisconsin. According to the latest stats I could find, um, which were 2015 completed stats that I could find. In Wisconsin, per year, over 2,000 people die annually from excessive alcohol use. And we love to champion that, you know, that we have all this liberty and we're Germans, like me, heritage and breweries and all this stuff. But as a result, over 2,000 people die generally in a year from excessive alcohol use And that almost 3,000 alcohol-related motor vehicle crashes causing injuries occur in Wisconsin per year. So 2,000 people die, over 3,000 motor vehicle injury crashes occur, and the economic burden, because in case you say, well, that doesn't mean, well, here's the reality. The economic burden on the state of Wisconsin resulting from excessive alcohol use totaled $6.8 $6.8 billion in that one year. That's not million. That's a B, billion. And also, on average in a year, and these 2015 stats, and it's much worse, in 2017, um, in 2015, 873 Wisconsin residents died as a direct consequence of illicit drug use. And it's much worse now because the heroin epidemic is just getting insane um opiate addiction leading to heroin addic- heroin addiction, which leads to heroin overdose, is becoming insane in our state and in our country, but in the state it's terrible so per year, approximately a thousand people um die of drug overdoses in our in our in our state so think of this starvation you go man you're you're a debbie downer today now i'm going to show you there's hope starvation, war. I'm sorry, Debbie, I didn't think of you. I have a sister, Debbie. I have a sister, Debbie. I'm sorry. So starvation, war, poor graduation rates, alcohol and drug abuse, and death as a result. Just four areas that that reveal that our world is a mess. Now think of this. We all know the world's a mess. And here's the truth. There are a lot of really good, well-intentioned, good-hearted people who are trying really hard to fix these problems. Many people are trying to figure out how to feed the hungry and to help the poor. Many people are working to try to figure out how do we stop hate and stop war. Many people are trying to figure out 20 miles from here, how do we help poor kids graduate from high school so they at least have the most basic requirements to try to function the rest of their lives in the world. And many people are trying to say how do we help um, People who are addicted to drugs and alcohol get off of drugs and alcohol and trying to say, how do we prevent it in the first place? But this is what I know. And you don't have to be a genius to figure this out. You just got to, you know, look at the reality. Most of human efforts to solve these problems do not work. Just think of the efforts, you know, and the money that just our government spends trying to address these issues. And we look at it, sometimes we go, and the money we threw at it actually seems to have made the problem worse, right? This is what we know. But I know something else, that the answer to these problems is Jesus, that he is the answer to these problems. And just think of this with me. Why do people starve in the world that has more than enough food to feed everyone? Well, let me give you a very simplistic, and always going to be very simplistic answers, to come to one conclusion. The simple answer is simply this: human greed. Now, I don't mean that because you had extra potatoes last night with your dinner that somebody in China starved. That that's not what I mean at all. No, what I'm saying is that in many places where starvation and hunger is an issue, resources and money are given to fix the problem. We saw that when we lived in Cambodia. Tons of resources come in to fix the problem. Tons of money are given to fix the problems. But what happens? Greedy people who care only about themselves and their wealth take what's given to help other people and they hoard it for themselves. They keep the need. They keep the resources for themselves. Think about places like Haiti or think about places like Cambodia. I can't remember the number, and I was going to look it up, but I, I forgot to. The number, what they said, per person in Haiti, what was given during after the, all the decimation that went on about five years ago down there. It was like in the hundreds of thousands, per person was given in aid relief, and yet the people are worse off than they were before. Why? Why does that happen? One word, greed. People are greedy, they hoard from themselves, and they don't care what happens to somebody else. Or let's think about the next thing we talked about. Think about war. Why do wars rage? And I'm not saying one specific conflict, what's the problem with that conflict, but in general, the simplistic answer, why do wars rage? I come up with a couple of things. Pride, greed, and hate, right? One group trying to crush another group, take their land, impose their values, take power over them. That's really what happens in, in a war. And it affects people all over the planet. Or why do only half of the students at MPS graduate, while 20 miles up the highway almost 100% graduate from high school, which will then affect the entire trajectory of their life? Well, again, there are no simple answers, but I'd come up with a kind of simple answer. One factor is surely that one group has a much better family social structure that encourages honesty and hard work and achievement, while the other does not have the same family structure. And support structure. And we know that is a huge part of what helps a person succeed in life. Or lastly, why do so many people in Wisconsin turn to drugs and alcohol in their lives? Why does it become a regular part of life that in so many lives it becomes a problem in their life that literally brings destruction to them and their family and costs the, the state as a whole billions of dollars to try to, to try to deal with? Again, being overly simplistic. Why? Because people are hurting on the inside and they're looking to numb their pain. That's really at the heart of so much of it. Now, think of this. What is the answer to greed and to hate and to having proper morals if you have improper morals and having emotional stability and health so you can succeed in life? What is the answer? Well, the answer isn't an it. The answer is a who. The answer is Jesus. And you know how I know that's real? Because this very room is filled with people who were hurting in all of the ways that we just have mentioned and then something amazing happened. You and I, we met Jesus and He changed everything. For some there was this immediate drastic change It's happened in my life. It was just, I went from serving the devil full tilt to serving Jesus full tilt. You know, it was like this turn or burn kind of thing, you know? And I just went fully from one way to fully another way. For some, there's a dramatic change. For some, Jesus has walked you through a process of healing, and He's still walking you through the process of healing. But we know, because of our changed lives, that Jesus is the only one who can fix our messed up world because he is the one who has fixed our messed up worlds my little world jesus is the one who's come in and changed it greed to generosity hate to love lazy to hard working pain internal pain to internal peace and healing jesus is the answer that's the truth church now this is where things get really exciting in my book. Here is where we should get really excited about being part of the church. And it's for this reason. It's because the church is Jesus' main avenue for fixing the messed up world. He never said government would do it. He never said foundations would do it. The church is Jesus' main avenue for fixing the messed up world. Jesus is the answer to and His church is the way that He gives His answer to the world. The church is that. Think of this. In, in Matthew sixteen eighteen, Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church, and the power of hell will not conquer it. Those were Jesus' words. I will build my church, and the power of hell will not conquer it. Now think of something with me this morning. Why did Jesus build his church? Why did he say that he would not only would he build it, but think of this from his text, but he would protect it so that all that hell could ever throw at it, that it could not, hell could not destroy the church? Why would Jesus say, I'm building this and no matter what else happens, my church will survive, my church will be strong? Why? Because the church is the main avenue by which Jesus ministers in the world. Listen, friends, the church isn't just some nice place you come on Sunday morning and meet nice people. That's true, but that's not what the church is. The church is God's creation, designed to be a place of His activity in the world. That's what it is. The church is the place of God's activity in the world. And anyone and everyone who becomes a follower of Jesus, is designed by God to be a vital part of what he is accomplishing through his church. The Apostle Paul dealt with it like this, trying to help us understand this. Um, He used a word picture, he developed a word picture to help us understand the relationship between Jesus and his church, and then the church's function in the world. In Colossians 1.18, the Apostle Paul wrote this, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body he is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead so he is first in everything so what's happening here? Paul here describes Jesus as what? Jesus is the head right of the church and the church is Jesus' what body Jesus is the head, the church is the body. He says here that that as the head, Jesus is, he says it here, is supreme, right? Um, over everything. And that and, and that, that he is that he is the, the top. He's supreme over all who have risen from the dead. So he is first in everything. Here Paul describes Jesus as being the head of the church and the church as his body and is supreme over all who rise from the dead. That's a reference to those who come to Christ and have, um, and have participated in his death and resurrection through salvation. He said, I'm head over all of this. And like with this, our head, like he's describing here, our head, we understand this, is the most important part of our body. It's the leading part of our body. I can live without an arm or a leg, and people do it all the time, but I can't live without my head, right? I can live without my arm, but I can't live without my head. And it's saying this about Jesus, that Jesus is the head. He's the leader. He's the ruler of the church. But this is the part that I think we forget about. We just toss out a term and an illustration like the Apostle Paul is using here. We just toss it out, out there and say it, but we don't really get what he's saying here. It says that he's the head, but we are his body. We're his body. We are his arms and his legs and his fingers and his toes um, we, are, we are the ones that do what he directs. He's the head, the supreme, the important part over all of us. We are the body, the arms, legs, fingers and toes. We are the ones that do what the head directs. Now think of this. Pretty simple illustration here. If I say raise your hand, everybody raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, you raise your hand. You can put it down. What happened there? My head said raise your hand. And my shoulder I'm not even sure. I don't know how the whole body works. But my, you know, All the shoulder bones connected to the rib bone, whatever. So my shoulder and my arm and my hand all had to cooperate to raise my hand. The head says, raise your hand. And my shoulder and my arm and my hand do the activity that the brain, the head, said to do. That's the way God is trying to help us understand that it works with Jesus and his church. We are His hands and His feet to do His activity directed by Him through us. Think of this. This is what I hear all the time, and I've probably done it a thousand times myself. We say we kind of complain, or we call it prayer sometimes, and we say this, Oh God, why don't you do something about, and fill in the blank what the about is. Oh God, why don't you do something about hunger? God, why don't you do something about war? God, or why don't you do something about my kids? Or, God, why don't you do something about my job? We say all these things. God, why don't you do something about? God, do it! Do it, God. And He says, I'm trying to. He says, I've made you aware of it. And I've put you in a position to act on that situation. And I've given you the abilities and the resources to be engaged, to be a solution to the problem. He's saying, I am doing something about it. I'm encouraging my church. And he's not saying that second best. He's saying, no, don't you understand? I am the head. You, we are the body. And the head tells the hand to be raised, and the shoulder and the arm and the hands do what the head says. So he says, here's the problem, here's the situation, here's the reality. And we say, God, why don't you do something? He says, I'm trying to. I'm telling my church to be involved. And some are a shoulder, and some are an arm, and some are a hand. His activity is accomplished through his church. Friends, understand. God never intended Portview to be a place. Understand what I'm saying? God never intended Portview to be an address. 3457 County Road LL. God never intended Portview to be an address. God never intended Portview to be a building. Now, we, we are a place. We are an address. We are a building. No, Portview is a church. It's a gathering of people who either know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, or those who are investigating and saying, is this Christianity really real? And we come together as His body. And when you become part of the body, by coming to Christ for salvation, you become part of the church, you become part of His body. And when you become part of His body, whether you know it or not, or whether you even know it, and you deny it or you put it aside because you don't want to deal with the reality, that when you become part of the church, through salvation in Jesus Christ, then you and I, we, are the solution. We are the solution. We are the answers to the world's problem. The answers to the world's problem is us. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul is trying to get at. He's the head. We're the body. We are the answer to the world's problem. Us filled with him. Us following him. It's not that complicated. It's us. You and me. Raising children and grandchildren to follow Jesus so they love instead of hate. And they give instead of take. We do that alone. We'll change the world. It's us befriending the most hurting and the most lonely in our community so they can find comfort in loving relationships so they don't turn to drugs or alcohol. That will change the world. That will unmess up some people's worlds. It's us, in whatever small ways we can, promoting peace instead of war, forgiveness instead of vengeance. That will change people's worlds. Jesus is the answer, and his church is the way he gives his answer. So, because of that, church. We are the solution. That's why I can wear this button or wear that shirt. Next week I'm wearing my shirt. I hope you wear yours. I can wear this because I can honestly say I love my church. Because my church is a place of hope. I've seen so many of you walk through things where God brought you somehow divinely connected to somebody else into this church. And I look at you and you're totally different. Than you were before you met Jesus. It's Love instead of hate. It's freedom instead of imprisonment to life controlling issues. It's marriages that are are healthy and strong and growing. Instead of hateful and fighting and devouring. Friends, that's the church. A church is a place of hope. The church is a place of answers. Because we get to find out what does God say about this world. The most important answers. The church is a place of help. But not the body, I mean not the, not the building, not the corporate structure. The church is a place of help. Because I help you and you help me and that person helps that person. And we're a body entangled and enmeshed together to help one another. Because we are the solution. Each of you are part of God's body if you're a Christian. Some are hands to hold another person's hands, or to reach out to someone in need. Some are arms to hug someone who is hurting. Some are legs to carry others along as they're weak. Some are hearts and minds to tutor a student who's struggling. So they're even in our community, they're not in the three point whatever percent that aren't going to make it just through high school. Friends, it's exciting and it's rewarding To be part of what God is doing in the world through his church. And here's what I hope for you today. I hope for me today and all of us today. That not one of us would miss out on finding our fit in God's body. Because it's why you were created. Here's the deal. God created you on purpose to be part of what he's accomplishing here. This is the church he brought you to. And he said, this church is the body. And he said, I've given you all these incredible usable gifts and abilities and talents and resources. And he said, if we use them all together as the body, according to the direction of the head, we'll change the world because we are the answer. And you know what? Somebody can say, well, yeah, that's just a way to get things done and challenge people. I'm saying this. No. Yeah, it is the way to get things done. But you will never become, you'll never experience the joy that God intends for you to experience unless you find your fit. Because then, as a church, we function as his body, and we are the solution. And so, friends, this is what I believe about our Heavenly Father who loves us. Remember the picture of Ripley? Put that picture up there. God is holding you in his hands. He's holding you and he's looking at you. And he's saying, I love you just the way you are. He looks at us and he says, You're perfect and you're wonderful and you're precious in my eyes. And he says, I created you for a purpose, I created you to be the solution. I created you to find purpose in life and joy in this world by being part of the the solution that he's fixing. He says, I love you that much. Friends, that's the truth. God is using us to be the solution. I have no idea what might go on in your life today. Because remember, as a church, we don't just live in this little little building. As a church, what's going to happen in a few minutes some of you are going to stay or new are going to stay for pizza with the pastor. Don't forget about that. Some of you are going to stay, we are going to room 11 across the church, and if you're visiting today, you're welcome to join us for that. But you know, some of you are going to leave and you're going to go out and you're going to go into community and you're going to take a walk because it's gorgeous, or you're going to go by family and friends, and you know what you're going to be? You're going to be hands and arms and fingers and toes. and the head's going to speak to you. He's going to say, "You're the solution. You're gonna walk into a situation that's that's full of bitterness and unforgiveness, and you're going to be the right not as a preacher, but as a living example. You're gonna go in and you're gonna be the forgiver. And you're gonna teach that forgiveness through example is the way. And suddenly the world's gonna be a better place because you're gonna be like Jesus in that place. Any scenario you can imagine can go on today. God can take you somewhere and you can see someone that you haven't seen in 10 years and you go, oh no, I really don't want to talk to that person. They're a pain. Oh, you never think that way, right? None of us (laughs) do. But what would Jesus be saying to me in that situation? Go. Not only go, invite them to your house for dinner. Why? Because you might be an arm that needs to give somebody a hug. Maybe the reason they're a pain is they're so broken and so hurt. They've been so mistreated that they don't don't even know how to feel love. God's going to say, I'm going to use you. You're my body. You're my hands and my feet and my arms. I'm going to use you to hug somebody today for the head. Jesus doesn't have physical arms that he uses in the world today. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's resurrected, physical body. I don't know how that all works, but he's seated at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is active everywhere. But Jesus' physical arms are not in this world doing anything right now. His body is his extension. And we get to be part of that. What an incredible blessing. That's how how important you are. Everyone is that important because we are a on purpose by God, part of what he is trying to do in this world today. Don't let the devil lie to you and say you're not important. You are eternally important because God made you on purpose. He's looking at you like the little baby that he loves. And he's saying, you're my body. I'm going to use you in this world to establish my kingdom and bring my ways, my love and my joy to people's hearts. Friends, that's something to be excited about. That's something to be happy about. We are the church. I love my church. It's not just a big C church. It's a church universal. God's plan was to bring that big church, which is all believers of all time together, but at local expressions, local churches. He looked down the road thousands of years ago and said, Portview, that's my church. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that you love us. That that picture of a a father, of Ripley looking at little baby Sterling, is just a little glimpse into how you look at us. Thank you, God, that you created us and you've made us part of your church, that when we come to know you as Savior and Lord, that we become part of your family, but another description is part of your body. And that you create us unique and on purpose so that you can do amazing things through us, things of healing, things of restoration, things of, of encouragement and loving, that we are the solution. Not because of who we are, but because of who we are.